Across the globe, 2,800 dedicated soldiers and civilians at 23 locations in 11 time zones stand ready. This is SMDC. Welcome back to the High Ground Studio at Redstone Arsenal, Alabama, home of U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command. I'm Ronald Bailey, a.k.a. Beetle. And I'm Staff Sergeant Dennis DePrisco in Colorado Springs. For Episode 4, we've got a full lineup for you, including several interviews. We'll be talking Army space support teams, new satellite communications equipment, and how Army SMDC air and missile defenders protect the joint force overseas against missile attacks. We'll also be talking about SMDC's new relationship with the University of Colorado to mentor students and help solve cyber problems. There's a lot more coming, so stick around. What if free people could live secure in the knowledge that their security did not rest upon the threat of instant U.S. retaliation to deter a Soviet attack, that we could intercept and destroy strategic ballistic missiles before they reached our own soil or that of our allies? All right, here we are at episode four, which should be hitting the net in February 2021. Staff Sergeant DePrisco, thanks for joining me. It was really my pleasure. For those of you who don't know him, Staff Sergeant DePrisco is a relatively recent addition to the SMDC public affairs team on temporary loan, as it were, from the U.S. Army Reserves. He's responsible for a lot of the video products coming out of the space and SATCOM brigades out there in Colorado Springs. So Dennis, although you're a public affairs videographer by trade and Producing those videos is pretty in line with what you do for the reserves and in your civilian job. The subject of your videos, Army space units, space capabilities and the like, that's got to be pretty different. What was it like stepping into our world? First and foremost, holy acronyms, Batman. When I got into the door, it was like drinking from the fire hose. We've got three operational brigades all doing something different from each other. Second, you've got the Technical Center doing science and technology. And then there's the Center of Excellence that does policy, doctrine, and training. And on top of all that, we've got Army astronauts. It's a ton to take in. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all wearing green. Yeah, SMDC is certainly a different animal, but we're all Army on the inside. So moving on, what news do we have for our first segment this month? Okay, by now most of you know we publish dozens of articles, videos, and photo sets each month. But for the podcast, we try to bring you what we think are most interesting. First up is a story from Sergeant First Class Aaron Ronstadt about a SMDC soldier whose personal passions are weight training and competition. And although this is a personal passion and story, he also talks about how weight training helps him as a soldier. All right, let's take a listen. Physical fitness is highly stressed in the Army. And by and large, most soldiers do what they can to stay in shape to be within fitness standards for their age group when it comes to passing the Army Combat Fitness Test. Staying in shape comes in many different forms for soldiers, whether it be running, lifting weights, riding a bike, swimming, etc. But for one soldier in 1st Space Brigade, Staff Sergeant Michael Mars, working out is more than just a necessary routine. It's a lifestyle. It's his passion. Lifting weights and being in top physical form is one of his highest priorities. What, I, what do I like about weightlifting? I like the challenge of it. I like the never-ending story of it because you're you're never the strongest. There's, someone, there's always something better. There's always someone better. There's always more weight to be lifted. There's never really an end goal. It's just the daily goals. There's always room for progression. And yeah, but the main, main aspect of it is I like the, the, the everyday challenge of it because 
you, you I don't want it every single day. You know, there are no, I mean, there are off days, but there is, there's never an off day whenever you're hitting the weights. Like you come in there, you know what you gotta do, you get to it. And no day's a bad day. You know, if you have a bad, if you don't make all your lifts, you know, it's still a good day because you got the train. Mars then expressed why he got into weightlifting. Funny story, what got me into weightlifting? I actually wanted to be a strong man. So I used to watch on TV the World's Strongest Man contest. And when I was young one, a young kid, I really wanted to be a strong man. I watched all these guys pick up all these heavy objects. I'm like, that's what I want to do. It changed as I grew up to uh, powerlifting. You know, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And then it changed again to, you know, I just want to be fit. Uh, and I started CrossFit around 2012 on my first duty station in the Army at uh, Fort Bliss. Um, I saw a guy doing some stuff in a gym and I couldn't do it. And I was like, well, how do I do that? He was like, hey, let me show you. He took me to a gym and that's what took me to my first ever CrossFit gym. Now, now you have me here. I've been doing CrossFit for about eight years now. That eight year time span was, is, was hard. You know, I wasn't that good. I didn't like not being as good as the guys that I uh, worked, uh, that I trained with. And I just decided I wanted to get better. So never end the story from there. Like anything you really want to improve on, one must have discipline, especially when it comes to weightlifting. You gotta have a lot of discipline. Um, it's almost, it's, it's like a job, you know, some days you wake up to a job and it's like, I really don't want to go to this job, but I have to go to this job in order to make money. Uh, think of weightlifting and training like that. I have to go train because I have to get better. There's some days where your body's sore, you're tired, you know, you didn't get enough sleep, you're hungry. Um, but you still got to go in and make the best of that day in order to get to the goals that you set for yourself. And I, I have a lot of goals set for myself. Morris has a nice setup in his garage at home in his Colorado Springs residence. A stack of weights is piled up in one corner with a crash pad on one side of the garage. A bench press is up against the rear wall. A pull-up bar is on one wall with a stationary bike next to it. Dumbbells are neatly lined up along the other wall. This is where he does a lot of his training. In the mornings, uh, I like train bright, bright and early. I'll come, come downstairs, uh, drink my pre-workout, uh, start warming in the garage up, uh, make my intra shake, which is a uh, a, pro, a whey protein mixed with like some some type of Gatorade or something to keep my uh, blood sugars high. Start my stretching routine for about 20, 25 minutes. Uh, come in and start warming up with just the bar and warming up movements, specific drills that I'm gonna do for my workout that day. And then after that, I put weights on, uh, start low, and then whatever I'm supposed to hit that day, I work to those numbers and try to make the best, try to make as close to perfect as possible, even though I'm never perfect. Anything you want to get better at is going to take a lot of time and repetition. Mars trains almost daily. Five to six days a week, uh, I would say actually training. Probably take one one day of non-weight training. So I call it like an active rest day, but that includes a brisk 60 minute walk or a light jog for 45 minutes. But when I'm training weight specific things, there's normally 90 minutes to two hour long sessions from start to finish. Sometimes even longer than that if I add, if I get a little crazy and add, add some things that I wasn't good at or if the weights aren't, if I can't get warmed up, you know, I'll take a little bit more for my warm-up, or if it's taking me longer to warm up to the weight that I'm supposed to hit, because I have a really heavy weight, um, I'll take more warm-up sets to make sure that I'm nice and warm so I can hit those numbers. 
Mars takes his lifting to new levels through competition. He won the Fort Carson Liftathon last summer and talked about his love of competing. I competed when I was at Bliss in two strongman competitions. I placed third and then placed first in the second one. Every place I go to, I try to get into a competition. So every duty station, I try to compete. When I was in Hawaii, I competed there really competitively for about four years. I had professional fitness goals at the time. I wanted to be a CrossFit Games athlete. Very humbling for myself because those guys are on a totally, those people are on a to totally different level. And I'm not as disciplined as I think I was in order to make those goals. But I like to challenge myself in everything. I've ran marathons, I've done Spartan races, I've done powerlifting meets, uh, training for training for them all consecutively because I like to push myself. I think the only thing that I haven't done is a triathlon or a biathlon, and I don't think I'll do those because that's just too far for me. <laughs> when asked if physical fitness defines Sergeant Mars as a person, he had this to say. If you ask any of my close friends or family, they know that, wait, I'm going to train. Sergeant Mars is going to train. It doesn't matter when, how, where. And if I'm supposed to train that day, I'm going to train that day. And fitness for me kind of changes over to my military and personal life as well because it's a direct reflection of my drivenness, if that's a word. Because one way or another, I'm going to get it done. And I've had people explain to me that I'm kind of like that with tasks that I'm given. Uh, in the military, it may not be the way I wanted it to be, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it happen one way, one way or another. And I think that fitness, from that perspective, you can you can see that in almost anyone. Someone who deliberately takes time out of their day to improve themselves is going to apply that aspect to every domain of their life. You know, whether it be 30 minutes of you know, high-intensity cardio or swimming, if they say, hey, I'm gonna do this, and they probably have that attitude towards every single thing they do. Like, you know, if they have a college goal, educational goal, it's like, oh, I'm gonna get this degree, and it's okay, well, that requires sacrifices. You know, weightlifting requires sacrifices. So if they can sacrifice their body, their time, their discomfort for training, then they'll probably do the same exact thing for whatever other goal that they have outside of fitness. Finally, Mars stressed the importance of weightlifting when it comes to being a soldier. Weightlifting contributes to being a soldier because you need to be able to save your and someone else's life at any given point in time. Given the history that I have with space, that has never been more apparent forefront than the events that happened last year around this time. It doesn't matter how big or small an individual is, um, when you need to save someone's life, they don't care how you save them. You know, if you're not strong enough, you need to be able to find a way to move them. And they don't care, they just want to live, you know. So, uh, there's someone, well, why, during the events that took place in Iraq last year, um, the thought never, the thought was raising through my mind, like, I would have to move someone um, who might be bigger than me or just might be heavy because they're wearing their, you know, their full kit. And um, I need to be, I keep that at the forefront of my mind. I don't want to be the reason someone doesn't come home. 
You know, so if it's me and someone else, like I have to save that person by any means necessary. You know, that means drag them, carry them, pull them, whatever that needs to be, I need to be strong enough to do that. Or at least be strong enough to put ourselves in a better situation to get help. Excellent. Now, there's a short video piece that was put together for this as well, right? Right. That's on our social media pages for anyone to check out. Okay, next we have a story about one of our more unique units, the 4th Space Company of the 1st Space Battalion. Now, we don't go into too much detail on what the unit does, but it consists of six space control detachments. And they have some new, better, smaller, and lighter SATCOM equipment, allowing them to talk anytime, anywhere, to enhance their mission and those they support. That's right. The company is trading their, in their old ground satellite terminals for a lightweight, highly portable option. It's called the Ground Antenna Transmit and Receive, or Gator. Its bandwidth is pretty much identical to the SNAP ground satellite terminals it replaces, but at a fraction of the weight. Yeah. To compare, the old SNAP terminals weighed between 300 and 400 pounds and pretty much had to be transported by vehicle. The new Gators consist of a flexible, inflatable ball and dish that weighs only 25 pounds and can fit into two cases about the size of checked airport luggage, basically making it able to be taken literally anywhere a soldier can go. All right, Beatles, so next we're gonna talk space gunnery tables. Wait a minute, wait a minute, back the truck up. Is that a thing, space gunnery tables? Is that like photon torpedoes and set phasers to stun? I mean, I understand armor, artillery, and air defense artillery gunnery tables, but how do you do gunnery tables in a space unit? Well, it was new to me too, but I assure you, it's definitely a thing. It's how SMDC determines if units like Army Space Support Teams are certified to perform their wartime and contingency missions. Sergeant Ronstadt's piece explains how that's all done. All right then, roll tape. Roll tape? Where are you rolling tape, Fred Flintstone? I'm not gonna lie, that kinda hurt. You know, back in my day, you've probably never even had a chicken a la king MRE. Army Space Support Teams, ARST for short, provides space situational awareness for combatant commanders to support the warfighter directly through kinetic and non-kinetic support. They provide commanders a different perspective or scope of the battlefield. ARST-5, which falls under 1st Space Brigade, recently completed their tabling exercise in order to become qualified for an upcoming exercise overseas. Sergeant First Class Cody Peterson, ARST-5 non-commissioned officer in charge, explained the tabling process. Today we are doing Table 7 certifications. Um, this is a preparation table for next week's actual certification during Table 8. Uh, that certification will prepare us to be certified as a team and to be able to support global uh, operations and exercises. So what does that exactly entail? Uh, some of the things we're doing today is we're just providing uh, space situational awareness, early missile warning, um, exercising different scenarios involved in which the ARST team would be dependent upon at a division or above uh, level. Army units of all kinds run through tabling qualifications. The tables are similar to what other Army's units do. Um, we, we go through the crawl walk run phase in regards to tabling. Um, right now I would say we're in the, the crawl phase or the walk phase and next week will be the run phase. 
Peterson explained the different levels involved in the tabling. We do some ground level foundational training, arts level training, uh, just kind of going over processes and uh, software, or software functions. So that's during table five. Table four is more of a written test, um, kind of understanding at an individual level your basic space knowledge. Uh, table seven is where we start to begin to apply that as a team and working through different scenarios. And it's table eight is where we're certified to, to actually perform those tasks. So what does it mean to become certified? Being certified means that you meet the basic qualifications as an ARS team and member to perform your basic functions to support division and above uh, military levels commands. When an ARS becomes certified, they are then ready to do their jobs, to include operations in a deployed environment. In a deployed environment, ARS team would be providing the same thing, space situation awareness for that combatant commander. Um, we'd be supporting uh, some of the non-kinetic uh, targeting means and collection means. Um, we would be leaned on for anything that would involve the space domain and we would, we would lean upon some of our other sister joint services in regards to the, the space domain. So rounding out our first segment, Beetle interviews Terrence Carlson, SMDC's Command Chief Cyber Strategist, about our unique relationship with the University of Colorado. Take a listen. Hello everyone, I'm Ronald Bailey with U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command's Public Affairs Office in Huntsville, Alabama. Today we're speaking with Mr. Terrence Carlson, SMDC's Chief Cyber Strategist, about an exciting new project between the command and students at the University of Colorado, Boulder. Mr. Carlson, jumping right in. Mr. Kutchall recently published an article about SMDC partnering with the University of Colorado, Boulder for the Design for Defense program. What does our participation in that program look like? Well, SMDC is, uh, we're a sponsor for the uh, University of Colorado Boulder, one of their teams uh, for this spring course. Uh, it used to be called the Hack for Defense program. And it's a capstone course, it's a competition course for students where they partner with government agencies and we provide them a problem set that they uh, are interested in having solved and uh, the, the students are assigned to a team and they uh, work for a solution. Okay, so what was the genesis of the connection between UC Boulder and SMDC? Where did this all come from? Well, initially we contacted uh, the university to determine if they were would be interested in uh, participating in a program that we call SUCCEED, which is the uh, SMDC Underserved Community Cybersecurity and Engineering Education Development Program. And it's meant to uh, engage with either historically black universities and uh, the underserved community. So the contact that we were given turned out to be the lead person for the De design for defense program. So it was a bit fortuitous. So I asked him, uh, you know, for some information about that program. And, uh, you know, they worked with a number of schools. And, uh, you know, like I said, the schools assigned problem sets to the students and uh, the students worked at, you know, those caps for their capstone project. So, uh, we, we asked if we could be part of it. Uh, they said, sure. We defined a problem set, submitted it. Uh, we met with the, the school. They accepted uh, our problem, uh, the review board that it had to go through. And then after it was uh, accepted, the, the school assigned a team to work. Okay, so let's talk return on investment. What are the advantages to the students to participate in this? And what does the command gain from the program? Well, the students uh, you know, have the advantage of 
getting to work a real world problem uh, for the DOD or the defense intelligence community. So, you know, they, they are, as far as we are concerned at SMDC, they're part of our team. They're working a solution that we will take and either refine or put it back into the system to have a further research done on it on maybe a future capstone course, or we have some interns that do research projects for us as well. Uh, our benefit is, is that uh, we then gain kind of an outside look at uh, problems that, that we maybe have been looking at from various uh, angles throughout SMDC, but these are fresh sets of eyes and, and the teams are made up of not just pure, just engineers. What they you know, so you get a different look and different perspective. So hopefully, uh, what we're looking for is, is to get some uh, novel ideas uh, to a, a problem that uh, we'd like to work in and kind of uh, enhance and put into to play at SMDC. Okay, so in the article, it talked about things occurring this semester. Do you expect the relationship between UC Boulder and SMDC to continue beyond this specific project, like many of the relationships we have with the colleges and universities here in Huntsville? Oh, yeah, we anticipate this to be, uh, that will be a repeat sponsor for this program. Uh, we like that benefit of getting you know, as many sets of eyes working at different problems as, as we can. And so we're committed to providing the students with opportunities to work these real-world tasks and not just with internships, but also these capstone research progress, projects, I'm sorry. Uh, and it gives them a taste of the kind of work they might expect in a career with the Department of Defense. So uh, in the long term, we're hoping that uh, some of them might become interested in uh, pursuing careers, you know, with either SMDC or the Army or, or in the DOD. And uh, so we think it's important to have that kind of a stream of talent coming through and pursuing careers with the government. Because uh, we want to try to recruit the best and the brightest, and, and hopefully we come across those in these programs. Hey, that does sound like a great short-term and long-term relationship for both the students, the university, as well as U.S. Army Space and Missile Defense Command. Mr. Carlson, I want to thank you again for your time very much. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So that was Mail Call. For us, that means an opportunity to answer listeners' questions here on the podcast. So what's in the back, Beetle? This month, someone wants to know about something mentioned in Staff Sergeant Ronstadt's special edition podcast about the Iran missile strike. In the segment where he was talking to one of the 1st Space Battalion soldiers, they mentioned talking to JTAGs, who called them to warn about the incoming missiles. What or who is JTAGs? So to begin with, JTAG stands for Joint Tactical Ground Station, or Stations. It's a missile warning system and a mission for soldiers assigned to the 1st Space Brigade. Although they are part of the Space Brigade, they are actually air defense artillery soldiers who are forward-based in Korea, Japan, the Middle East, and Europe. Right. Without going too deep into the more sensitive aspects of their tactics, techniques, and procedures... The JTAG system and soldiers receive data from overhead persistent infrared, known as OPIR, satellites that track the heat signature of missiles when they are launched. From that information, they determine approximately where the missiles or warheads will land. If those missiles or warheads are expected to impact in an area where U.S. or coalition partners are located, they provide instant warning to those theater commanders. 
because they are forward-based in those theaters, they can get those messages out much faster than if, say, that information had to be routed through or from CONUS. So after they sent their warning reports, they called their sister SMDC unit to make sure they got work? Yeah, to me, that's what sounds like was probably going on, just being a good SMDC battle buddy in that case. For those of you who haven't heard that piece, we strongly encourage you to go check that out. Moving on to the highlight of our podcast, our cool job segment. This month, First Sergeant Steve Sagan caught up with Major David Lydette of Army Space Support Team 5 to talk about his cool job working on a space support team. Army Space Support Teams are experts in space product development and bring in-depth understanding of space and its effects to the warfighter. They're experts in things such as satellite communications, positioning, navigation and timing, intelligence, surveillance and reconnaissance, space weather, space control and missile warning, a virtual one-stop shop for all things Army space. This episode's cool jobs are Army space support teams. Major David Lydette, ARST 5 OIC, tells us why ARST teams are cool. What makes an Army space support team cool? You get to interact and work with a whole host of different MOSs. Uh, So you have uh, guys who are smart on geospatial stuff, imagery, um, SATCOM folks, intelligence folks. So it's a wide variety of MOSs, um, different warfighting functions that we touch and that we incorporate within our team. Uh, So it's just interesting to get different perspectives from different people, uh, lower enlisted NCOs and officers. Uh, We're all coming from different backgrounds. So I think that's what makes being on an ARS team uh, special, is you have that diversity. I asked Major Ledet, what's the coolest thing about being on an ARS team? It's a great question. Uh, There is, space is a very broad uh, domain that we fight in. There's a whole smattering of different capabilities that are out there. Uh, Some of the things I just, you know, didn't didn't know or didn't think of. So uh, what's cool about being on an ARS team is being exposed to those different things that Army space does that, you know, a lot of folks uh, may not know that the Army is involved with space. And so getting to to play with some of those capabilities, uh, the software associated with those, and kind of seeing what's out there is is really, really interesting, uh, really cool. Reporting from Fort Carson, Colorado, I'm First Sergeant Steve Sagan. special and space support teams this month. Tell you the truth, he really sounds like he enjoys what he does, though. Well, sir, indeed, that about does it for episode four. What do we have coming up between uh, now and the next time we talk to our listeners? By next time, our annual SMDC magazine, The Global Defender, should be out in digital form on our website. It's honestly a great way to learn more about this complex beast we call Army Space and Missile Defense Command. And I know that you're putting the finishing touches on a very special video shot by one of our very own Army astronauts, Colonel Andrew Morgan, while he was aboard the International Space Station last year. And it's not a science and research or space capabilities. He'll be doing a microgravity version of the Army combat fitness test. This I gotta see. How many microgravity push-ups do you think you can do, Dennis? You know, I think I got one in the tank. However, getting back to starting position, could be another story. Nice. Anyway, to round it out, National Engineers Week falls in February. With as many engineers as we have in this command, I'm sure we'll be producing something for that. 
That's it for episode four. Staff Sergeant Prisco, thanks for joining me. Hey, it was really my pleasure. And for everyone at home, be sure to tell your friends and coworkers about the podcast and check out our other great stuff at www.smdc.army.mil. From the High Ground Studio at Redstone Arsenal, Alabama, I'm Ronald Bailey. And I'm Staff Sergeant Dennis DePrisco. Thanks for listening. This is SMDC.